Welcome to another episode of the Let's Sip podcast, the podcast where we pontificate on all things craft beer. I'm your host, Brandon E. Gaylor. And first and foremost, I would just like to once again thank everybody for listening. If this is your first time or your last time, if you've given the show a chance before, I do appreciate it. If this is your first time, I appreciate it equally as much. Well, we are getting towards the end of summer, sort of. We are in the middle of September here, and um, school is kind of trying to get back in order in some form or another. A lot of remote learning going on, or mixed learning environments with some in-class days, some remote learning. So summer's actually fading away, even though it wasn't really much of a summer with everything that is going on, but what can you do? Unfortunately, it just seems like the news cycle as far as craft beer goes is kind of following suit in that regard. There's not a lot of big news to talk about. Um, it is hard to not discuss the pandemic, that is for certain. I know it's kind of sort of been a focus in my last couple of episodes, but... When we are all in the midst and in the mix of this, it's what else is there to talk about, unfortunately. But I'll try to avoid most of that talk for this episode. I just do find it interesting that there's just not a whole lot going on. I do still subscribe to a newsletter that gives me a bunch of news about what's going on in the uh, craft beer scene in Chicago. This week just seemed very light. There's not a lot of big news anything like that going on in Chicago, at least this week. Uh, But I did find a couple of interesting topics that we can discuss for today. Um, Of course, Dogfish Head is now part of Boston Beer Company, but it sounds like they are still trying to do some cool, unique, original things, which I very much welcome from them. I know that uh, I've seen their their uh, their stovepipe size cans of 60 minute in a store here in Texas. I hope I'm going to be able to find some of their other stuff in stores once I get a chance to take a look around. Because, uh, like I said, as long as Dogfish Head keeps doing what they do, uh, I always appreciate their beers. And as long as they're continuing to mix it up and to um, innovate and do cool interesting things i'll always be on board and well today they have some brand new news that uh, they are going to release a beer called regen ale Uh, it's the first traceably sourced beer to address climate change apparently and they partnered with a organization called indigo agriculture and um, they, uh, they, they created this beer through something called a program called Indigo Carbon, which provides growers with financial incentive to store carbon in their soils. This apparent, this is from uh, PR, this is a news uh, or a press release via PR Newswire. So uh, the beer will be released on. September 19th from uh, Dogfish Head Brewing and Eats in Rebohoth. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. 
but uh, Rebohoth Delaware. So it sounds like at their brew pub in Delaware, they will be releasing this beer. Uh, doesn't say anything about this beer getting any sort of wide distribution. So for now, I'm guessing it might not be the case, especially if they're doing something as far as talking about this uh, carbon footprint and things like that. I'm guessing it's more of a small batch beer just because they don't have the facilities probably to do that on a much wider scale. I could be wrong, but that is just my guess. But if you are in Delaware and you like to go to Dogfish Head, um, uh, September 19th, they will be releasing this Regen Ale. And um, they are releasing this to go along with Climate Week, which takes place September 21st through the 27th. Apparently they originally wanted to do it on Earth Day, but uh, Climate Week probably works just as well. Apparently they were doing some test batches back in January. And um, this is a partnership, as I mentioned, with Indigo Agriculture. And they, um, they got their ingredients through the Indigo Grain Marketplace. And what they've created with Region Ale is a farmhouse style Saison. So a farmhouse ale or a Saison, however you might want to call that. Um, you don't always see a lot of farmhouses and a lot of Saisons, so it's always nice to have a new Saison into the mix. I can't remember Dogfish Head doing a Saison before. I'm sure they probably have. But I'm just not thinking of one off the top of my head. But uh, it's always nice to see a Saison come on by, that is for sure. Um, and it's this has Willamette hops from Maine. And uh, Zuper Caesar hops from Michigan. I don't know if I've ever, ever had a beer with Zuper Caesar. I'm guessing this is that's some sort of strain that's... Um, is stems from a Saaz hop, S-A-A-Z, but a, it's a super Sazer hop. So um, that's from Michigan and uh, one of their house-grown yeast strains. And the malt is called Epiphany Malt, and that comes from North Carolina. It's a maltster dedicated to embracing uh, regenerative farming and regeneratively grown wheat from Kansas-based farmer um, guy named Doug Kiesling, who has implemented regenerative growing practices for 20 plus years. Uh, so, uh, things such as uh, what they call cover cropping, increased crop diversity, not tilling land, reducing pesticide fertilizer use, and integrating livestock. Uh, this helps to remove carbon dioxide from the air and improve soil health and add to grower profitability. So uh, that's all from the official PR release, uh, talking about this beer release. So Regionale, if you are in the Delaware area, uh, grab some of that from Dogfish Head at their brew pub. Comes out September 19th. So it sounds like Dogfish Head is still doing some cool things. So um, I always am on board for that. Um, let's keep our fingers crossed that we might see a bigger release. And um, 
If it's not possible with those particular practices, uh, it would be cool to see if they could somehow make a beer similar. I, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's defeating the purpose. Maybe I'm off on this. But if they could make a, like a similar style or make, make uh, do the recipe with uh, just with ingredients that might not be uh, relative to this particular partnership, but uh, then they could possibly... Um, donate some proceeds to the cause or something like that that would be interesting too otherwise uh this is just a special one for the folks around the delaware area so there's nothing wrong with that either so dogfish head keep up the good work and another piece of east coast news that we have uh, this week uh, apparently yingling is going to be branching out um, to a nationwide distribution model. And they are going to partner with Molson Coors to do such a thing. Apparently, the brewery itself, the, uh, which is America's oldest brewery, they're still going to be independent, but um, their partnership does kind of put them in the Molson Coors wheelhouse. And it's going to allow them to bring yingling across the nation or to many more states than they currently have uh, their original brewery is in pennsylvania and right now they are in parts of indiana but they really don't go any farther west than that so it looks like this new partnership is going to bring them eventually to areas like illinois and wisconsin so that is quite a piece of news. So somebody, so people who are looking for yingling or who might have had it on the East Coast and are missing out, sounds like the plan is try to bring it to a uh, nationwide audience and eventually out to the West Coast as well. Um, of course, there's going to be some planning and everything like that involved. But what it sounds like is that might not start being distributed wide till sometime in 2021. Um, but that year right is around the corner, so it's not, it's long, but it's not too long. But there's going to be a little bit of, uh, working up to that distribution model. But it will be interesting that, uh, we'll see Yingling coming out, uh, all over the place very soon. And Deschutes has released a, has some, a couple of new beer releases in the pipeline. Um... Their Black Buttes, uh, I don't know if it's black, supposed to be Black Buttes or Black Butts, but I say Black Buttes, Black B-U-T-T-E. They're the Imperial version of that porter is uh, in its 32nd year, so the Imperial version is hitting stores very soon. Uh, that beer has been around since 1988. The original Black Buttes, the Black Buttes Porter, uh, that created first in 1988. So it was one of the first three recipes that Deschutes created. Uh, Deschutes is out of Oregon, and they are the 11th largest craft brewery in the country now. Uh, the Black Butte Porter is an exceptional porter. I, of course, love myself a good porter. And uh, Black Butte holds its own for sure. And as a wide-released beer, uh, 
Deschutes has a relatively wide footprint, I do believe. Um, it's always good to uh, have that option for a solid porter. And Black Butte is definitely that. But the Imperial version is uh, usually packs a big punch. This year is no exception. It's at 13.4% ABV. Uh, one difference that's going on this year is it will not be released in 22 ounce bottles. It won't be. It's not going to be a bomber like it has been in years past. They are moving to a 12 ounce bottle, and it's going to be sold in a four pack. This is not much of a surprise considering um, the craft beer industry seems to be moving away from the bomber format in many cases. Uh, I wouldn't even have been surprised if I had seen the black this coming out in a four pack of cans, but not quite yet. They are going of course with bottles, so that'll be a four pack of bottles. And um, this year it has been aged in Colombian rum barrels and infused with cold brew coffee. So, not really sure if I'll be able to get my hands on that particular beer, but uh, it is also spiced with vanilla, nutmeg, and orange peel. So, if you are looking for a powerhouse, a big uh, heavy beer, uh, something that packs a little bit of punch to sip on as the weather starts to get a little bit cooler. Uh, look for the um, Black Butte 32 Imperial Porter coming out in stores very, very soon. And another release Deschutes is bringing out is uh, an Imperial IPA. And this is going to be along the lines of their fresh quote-unquote fresh line, uh, like their fresh squeezed IPA and their fresh haze IPA. Uh, but this is going to be an Imperial IPA, and it's called Royal Fresh. And uh, according to Brewbound, uh, Royal Fresh has all the big, hop, ju uh, big juicy hop character of a traditional Imperial, but we were less concerned about hitting a 90-100 IBU mark making a very drinkable Imperial. And that is a quote from Veronica Vega, who is the director of new product development for Deschutes. Uh, that sounds right up my alley as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's a 9% ABV on this Imperial. So nice solid punch, but sounds like it might not be too overwhelming or too much of a palate wrecker. Uh, I should not say palate wrecker because there's a beer named palate wrecker, uh, but rest in peace palate wrecker. And uh, I think Green Flash might still be out there somewhere, but uh, palate wrecker is an amazing, amazing double IPA from uh, Green Flash. Uh, but yeah, a 9% ABV sounds about right. I know that sometimes when you get an Imperial that might be up towards the 10% IBV rate or uh, ABV range, it almost becomes a little too much to drink. Um, especially if you get it in a 16 ounce can, it becomes a little heavy and uh, uh, a struggle to get through when, when the ABV is high on a 16 ouncer. But this is gonna be in 12 pack bottles 
and they're using seven different hop varietals in this one. There's Mosaic, Centennial, Cascade, Amarillo, Citra, Cashmere, and El Dorado. So this is a powerhouse collection of hops we've got going on here. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. So uh, apparently they have hop additions at six different stages of the brewing process. So it sounds like this beer is supposed to be... Um, they were talking about this last month in August, but it's supposed to be available this September. So hopefully it is coming out soon. And uh, it's supposed to be a nine... Uh, uh, sorry, I already said 9% ABV, uh, but it's 70 IBUs. So um, uh, a strong bitterness, but not overly bitter. And it's going to be available in six-pack bottles and also 19.2-ounce stovepipe cans. So that's awesome. And on draft. And in September, they'll always they'll start coming out also with a series called Send It Series. And that's going to be small batch experimental beers on their pilot system. And that's going to be available in six-pack cans at Deschutes pubs and tasting rooms. So if you happen to be located near a Deschutes brewery or Deschutes tasting room, uh, look out for the Send It series. Uh, looks like it's going to be some limited edition pilot stuff. Um, and apparently the first one and that is going to be called... Uh, Symphonic Chronic West Coast Style IPA. So keep a lookout for that one. Um, that's going to be a dank, skunky IPA at 7.2% ABV. So if you are around a Deschutes brewery, again, uh, look out for that Send It series, those limited edition releases from the brewery directly. And uh, I will keep my eyes out for the... Um, the Royal Fresh Imperial IPA. I've not seen Deschutes in Texas yet. Uh, I've got to verify maybe if they're available in Texas or not. See if I can find that out and maybe see if I can find myself some Royal Fresh uh, Imperial IPA. That sounds like it might be a hit. So that is pretty much what I've got for new beer news for this edition. Um, oh, the one other note that I have was uh, Brewbound. Brewbound has switched to a subscription model. So now... You basically can't read any sort of new news articles on their website without uh, signing up for a subscription. Um, I can't begrudge them for that. Um, journalism has become an extremely difficult endeavor in this day and age. Um, I know that very well personally from my own experience uh, it's very very hard to make money writing online <laughs> um, and it's either all about having an ad model and sometimes that doesn't even work well so uh, 
they're trying to do what they are do need to do to pay the bills and keep the lights on so i cannot begrudge them of that but uh i just can't afford it right now so um yeah unfortunately i can't get uh keep up to i uh i can't really read anything on brewbound but i it's not so much a problem uh I can, uh, of course, do some a uh, little bit more legwork and a little bit more research and go to the source directly or whatever else I need to do to find info. So not a big deal. Um, I hope the model works well for Brewbound and uh, hopefully soon I get to a point where I can get myself a subscription. And uh, like I said, it's tough out there, tough out there for everybody, but uh, a potentially especially if you're trying to do anything online and getting attention it's uh often like a needle in a haystack endeavor that's for sure and uh that's the unfortunate uh fortunate that our passions lie in such arenas but what can we do am i right This episode of the Let's Sip podcast is brought to you by the new audiobook presentation of $1,000 a Day, Studies in Practical Economics by Adeline Knapp. Why is the episode brought to you by this particular audiobook? Because it is an audiobook that I narrated and produced, my first attempt at such a project, and I hope you will check it out. The intro is now available for a free preview on YouTube, and the book is slowly rolling out to audiobook platforms everywhere. It is currently available on Google Play, Apple Books, Scribd, Chirp Books, and it's coming to more platinum or more platforms very soon. So uh, check it out. And Houston, Texas, St. Arnold Brewing today released a hazy pale ale. That is their uh, limited edition seasonal, their latest. And um, it is a just called a Hazy Pale Ale, no special name, but it is double dry hopped with Citra, Mosaic, and Galaxy, uh, which does sound like an amazing hop combination. 4.7% uh, ABV, super drinkable, almost on the session side of things, uh, 48 IBUs. Uh, it sounds really tasty. Apparently that will only be available at their beer garden and restaurant. Uh, I think you could also probably maybe get that in cans unless uh, they say they can order online for curbside pickup or drive through But I don't know if that's just a growler or if they do have cans of the product. Either way, you're only going to find it at their beer garden or restaurant in Houston, Texas. Uh, the reason I mention St. Arnold Brewing is because those are uh, that is the brewery that I actually tasted beer from this particular week. And St. Arnold Brewing has the distinction of being the oldest craft brewery in Texas. Uh, they were started in... 1994. Their first keg of beer was actually shipped uh, June 9th of 1994. And it was founded by Brock Wagner and Kevin Bartol. And the reason I mention the two names, uh, only because Brock is actually still part of the company and still head brewer. 
Uh, it's not often, or it's, uh, it's not too surprising to find that the founder is still involved in the company. But it, it, I think it is unique to find a founder who's been around with the company for so long who's actually still the head brewer. Um, they're kind of approaching, uh, they're about four years shy or a little less of approaching 30 years of being in business. And Brock Wagner is still considered the head brewer. And um, I think that's pretty remarkable. Usually, the, if, if, the, if the founder is still involved, they move down to like a more senior role. Not always, but sometimes. But uh, that's cool if he's still in the mix of things. Uh, looks like their beer garden and restaurant is still open. And I mentioned you can get curbside and um, drive-through pickup as most places and breweries are doing uh, to try to, you know, keep sales and, and beer product flowing during this pandemic. Looks like they had some issues when the uh, orders had changed in July, but they got that resolved. So it looks like they are open seven days a week for a dining and you can get beer to go as well. But they've been around since 1994. And um, it's nice because they actually have some details in there about... I love seeing the websites when they have an About Us section and uh, some information so I, I can pull a little bit more data and learn a bit more about them. And it's nice that they also talk about their distribution footprints. Apparently, they are only available in Texas and Louisiana. Um, I could have sworn I had heard of St. Arnold before... Maybe some of their can design just kind of got me, and I thought I had seen them before, and I could very well be wrong. I know it wasn't in Illinois, but maybe I used to do some traveling when I was working in IT, and I was thinking maybe I had seen it at some other place. But since I didn't frequent Texas or Louisiana too often, I know when I had been in Texas prior, I wasn't too much in the beer scene. Um, maybe I just haven't seen them. I thought I had. But they're only available in Texas and Louisiana. And I think I might have just found myself one of my regular go-to beers, at least for Texas. Now, I haven't had a lot of beer since I've arrived here in Austin um, I'm behind on all my sampling for sure. I've had some great solid beers, but I, I needed to drink a, I needed to drink a whole lot more. But you know how that is. Um, you know, money is a hindrance, and you know, a shutdown economy and everything like that is also a problem. But uh, I tried the Art Car IPA, and. Their Art Car IPA uh, proved to be really, really tasty. Might be one of my go-to beers for Texas going forward. The type that I would definitely want to keep in the fridge on a regular basis. Uh, when I cracked open, it was uh, I had it in a, a stovepipe can, so a 19.2 uh, uh, ounce can. Uh, what we've got is a uh, bitterness is at a five, 55 IBU, very respectable, enough to have a little bit of bites, but not enough to totally kill your palate. Uh, alcohol content is a 7.1, uh, 
Um, kind of right around the range of like a two-hearted from Bells. But where Bells is more of a Midwestern, a little more balanced uh, style IPA, I felt like this one was a little bit more pushing towards that West Coast IPA variety for certain. Uh, when I cracked open that can, I got a whiff of the hops right away. Where you get a, get a little bit of hops when you're doing something like a two-hearted, but this was definitely a little bit more hop forward, a little more aromatic when that can, uh, when that can's top popped open. This was canned on the 18th of August, so just short of a month. And I know it had been sitting in the cooler probably since it arrived, so I know it was relatively fresh. And um, uh, kudos to St. Arnold for their website as well. There is a ton of information on it about each beer. There's an ingredient section and a trivia and history section. So... Uh, that's always great to see. Some websites are bare bone, which is understandable. I, I don't begrudge anybody for that. It's hard to find somebody to put all that information on the website, especially if your crew is small. But um, they have some great information on here, including all their ingredients. And I pro I, I'm guessing that the thing that really got me going with the Art Car IPA is the fact that they're using the Simcoe Hop. Simcoe Hop is where it is at. The aroma is amazing on it. The flavor is amazing on it. Um, it's one of the reasons why I liked the Alley Time Pale Ale from Spiteful so much. Uh, focused the Simcoe Hop. Uh, another brewery. Uh, Noon Whistle had a beer that had just the Simcoe hop. Uh, it's absolutely uh, powerhouse. It's a great. It's a. I think it's a highly underrated hop. Simcoe is awesome, and it is used in the boil along with Columbus and Cascade. Um, at, you know, Simcoe is definitely holding its own here against the Cascade, which can sometimes overwhelm. Uh, and Columbus is doing its thing. And then they're also dry hopping on top of it. You bring the Simcoe back to bring in that awesome uh, nose and those, those floral characteristics. But you also got Amarillo and Mosaic on the dry hopping. Um, so yeah, what's not to like with that hop bill? That's ridiculous. It's no wonder that the hop, uh, the floral bouquet, when I cracked that can, was so amazing. And... Uh, it just really hit my senses. And it's apparently made with two row pale malts, Cara 45 malt and Cara foam malts. I uh, did not pour this one out of the can, so I did not get a look at the texture of the color. Uh, this beer came around first in August of 2015. So um, it's nice to see this is probably one of their flagship standard beers. Uh, so definitely, like I said, this might be a, a good candidate for one of my regular Texas beers that I revisit often. Uh, the art car name was apparently inspired by a fleet of hand-painted art cars created by a local artist for St. Arnold. Uh, label artwork was designed by renowned Houston graffiti artist Gonzo247. And apparently the brewers competed to have a recipe chosen for the beer. And um, 
they created a new yeast strain particularly for this beer. So Art Car was an absolute winner. Like it's nice. Um, I love drinking all the special stuff and one-offs and limited releases and all that. But it's great when you can find a beer that you know that you're going to be able to find on a regular basis and drink it whenever you have a hankering for it. So Art Car might just be that for me right now. And guess what? This episode is a twofer because I actually had two beers from St. Arnold this week. I know. That's my air horn sound. Uh, it's twofer time. And, well, I do have some explaining to do. Uh, I actually, I know last week I drank the Carl from St. Elmo Brewing, which was a Kolsch-style beer. And I do have to admit that I did drink another Kolsch-style beer this week. I did not expect that to be the case. To be honest, I um, I contemplating picking up the Oktoberfest from St. Arnold because I still haven't had an Oktoberfest. And at the store I usually get beer from, they were still the only Oktoberfest on the shelf. So I almost grabbed the Oktoberfest, but I wanted a slightly bigger beer and it's still relatively warm outside. So, and I didn't expect this beer to be a Kolsch when I grabbed it. I was expecting more of a lager. Uh, that is because I grabbed the Fancy Lawnmower, which is uh, categorized as a refreshing outdoor beer. It's not until you look on the side of the can in small print that you see it is a Kolsch-style beer. And this one is at 4.9% ABV. Um, this can was also dated the 18th of August, so just under a month old. So both of these beers were super fresh. This was also a stovepipe style can, 19.2 ounces. And um, yeah, like I said, a lawnmower, I was expecting a lager because that's what I've seen when I've had beers in the past that have lawnmower in the name. Definitely thinking of uh, Bader Brow's Lawnmower Lager, which was a uh, lager with a little bit of hop characteristic to it, almost to the point of considering it an IPL, but a little less hoppy in that. So just more of a standard lager, but with a little bit of a uh, little bit higher IBUs. Rest in peace, Bader Brow. But um, yeah, so I did not expect to see a call here, but that is what it was. And um, this one was, I definitely got a big whiff of smelled like Pilsner malt when I cracked the uh, can open. That's uh, very similar to the beer I had last week. Uh, but apparently it's just pale malted barley and a dash of wheat. They said they import the world's best pills and wheats malts. Uh, definitely got a little Pilsner malt up front. But I do feel like this one was a little bit more balanced. 
and had a little bit more wheat and a little bit more hop characteristic on the finish. There was just that little bit more of the bite and flavor, that aftertaste of a Kolsch that I was expecting. I feel like I got that a little bit more with this one than I did the beer last week. On um, this one, they use a single hop variety called the Haller Tower Herzbrucker. And they said they have four separate additions to the brew kettle, which creates the delicate flavor and aroma of this classic hop. So, yeah, this proved to be uh, very easily drinkable, of course, which is not going out too far on a limb with a Kolsch. Um, like I said, when I grabbed this, I uh, did not expect it really to be a Kolsch. I was expecting more of a lager. Uh, but just with uh, having uh, the, the weather and the way it is uh, a little bit warmer still, I was looking for something a little bit bigger, a little bit more refreshing and lighter. So I didn't go with the Oktoberfest from St. Arnold. I went with the fancy lawnmower. Um, but I thought that was a solid quality beer as well. And it's nice to know that those options are readily available, especially in the stovepipe cans at a decent price point. Um, they both uh, ring up at $3 a piece. That's including tax. And they're actually at the same price point as the larger cans of White Claw. Uh, I don't know if the White Claw is actually a 19.2. I think it's a 19.2 ounce can. Unless it's like a 24-ounce can, but I think it's about the same size as one of these. But either way, it's the same price point as a larger can of White Claw. So why in the world would you drink a White Claw when you could have a craft beer, an Art Car IPA? You can have an IPA for the same price as you would have a White Claw. Uh, it's a, it's a no-brainer. I mean, get a little bit of a buzz off the IPA too. It's not such a low ABV like the White Claw. But, you know, it is what it is. People like what they like. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not going to go on a rant about hard seltzers. It's people like what they like. and um, Yeah. Uh, but I'll be sticking to the craft beer for sure. But, uh, yeah, those are my couple tastes from St. Arnold this week. And I was very much impressed. Uh, especially with that Art Car IPA. So... I'll keep my eyes out for more opportunity to have beer from them. And I'll definitely be keeping Art Car on my radar going forward. That will do it for this episode of the Let's Sip podcast. I'm your host, Brandon E. Gaylor. Podcast theme music composed by Brandon E. Gaylor. Special thanks to Anchor.fm for hosting the podcast. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Let's Sip Podcast. Thank you very much for sipping with us, and we'll drink with you again next time. Bye-bye.